So good. Like I said before, my name's Pastor Jared, and so honored to be here with you all today. And some of you guys know me pretty well. I've grown up here basically my whole life, but there's other people that might not know me super well. So just a little bit of a background about me, myself. Um, I have grown up here at Res Life for pretty much my entire life. Um, I was born, fun fact, I was born on December 17, 1999, and there was only one problem surrounding that day of birth. The Res Life Christmas program was supposed to be December 19, uh, 1999, and if you don't know my mom, uh, she is Mrs. Sparkle Shine and conducts all of the Christmas programs here at Res Life, so she had a conundrum on her hands. You know, maybe I just, you know, chill, wait in the hospital, you know, take some days off. I did just have a kid. Or I bring my two-day-old baby into res service and hand him off to his aunt and conduct the whole Christmas program for three hours straight. If you know my mom, you know which one she chose. It was, uh, she was here on December 19, conducting the Cryer Christmas program, and I was crying the entire time in the crowd. No, I did not get the role of baby Jesus that year. Still kind of bitter about that one, but that's okay. It's all right. So long story short, my, this place is basically my second home. Like I've been left here more times than I can count. And sometimes I just fall asleep here. It's great. So, but as this Thanksgiving day approaches, um, I really felt like the Lord wanted to um, bring a message tonight about our stories and the history of the holidays and how God wants to bring a biblical perspective to how we celebrate the holidays. Holidays were actually God's idea. He instituted celebrations and communal celebrations to be observed by the people of God, right? And we observed one of these, you know, next week, the one is Thanksgiving. And a little fun fact, I was doing some research into, into uh, Thanksgiving. And the first day that there was actually like a proclamation of Thanksgiving given was by George Washington in 1789. And he actually made a proclamation to the entire, to the entire country at that time, the, the, the entirety of America, to, to consecrate the entire day, to give thanks to the Lord for the, rev, like the Revolutionary War. And that they had been liberated from the, the, um, the country that had been placing them in bondage for so long. And so he literally, like that was the founding of our country. Like our first president mandated the entire day be given to thanks to God for, for him saving them and setting America as a side as a country that would serve and honor him. Also kind of funny, as I was doing some research, there were several times, not only on Thanksgiving, but also other times that George Washington mandated a nationwide fast, which is so wild. Like What? I don't know, I have a hard time fasting myself. It's like my body is like, this president's like every single person in the entire country, no food today. You know, it's like, that's crazy. No wonder, man, no wonder America's been blessed as it has, you know? So anyway, so awesome. So that, our, that was where our uh, Thanksgiving actually originated. It was in like a day of Thanksgiving and remembrance unto the Lord. Like America had been freed for, you know, 13, around 13 years at that time, and they still chose to remember, look back on and reflect, and still give God thanks for something that had happened so long ago. And they took an entire day in order to do that. And the Revolutionary War was a significant point in U.S. history. A demeaning and overpowering king was keeping Americans bound from afar, and their freedom was marred and tainted by a British authority. But after the war was over, they were freed, and they were loosed from that British dictatorship and experienced a newfound freedom in America. But 
in, in a way, and as we approach this Thanksgiving season, I believe that the Lord is calling us to reflect and remember how we may have had our own revolutionary war that has been won in our lives. Because we all have experienced the freedom that comes from Christ. We've all been bound by this world at one point in our life, by Satan or by our sin from afar, and our freedom was marred and tainted by a demonic authority. But once we found Christ, our war was over and we were freed. We were loosed from that evil dictatorship and experienced a newfound freedom in Christ. And I feel like God is leading us into this type of remembrance as we approach this Thanksgiving season, that Thanksgiving would truly be a season of remembrance for ourselves where we remember how we were once bound and but now how we have been liberated. And like, like I said before, we wanna give this biblical perspective to the holidays because holidays were God's idea from the beginning. The very first holiday that is mentioned in the Bible is actually a holiday called Passover. And so Passover is talked a lot about in Exodus 12 through 13, and it's a holiday that was meant to remember the freedom that the Israelites experienced from the bondage of the Egyptians. Israel had been bound under the Egyptian nation as slaves for over 400 years at this point, but God raised up a deliverer named Moses, and through a series of steps of obedience, Moses led the nation of Israel under the authority of God out of that bondage and into everlasting freedom. And God knew that his people would be inclined to forget the freedom that he had brought them. He knew. And so he instituted a specific day for them to regularly and yearly remember the good thing that God had done in their life, the deliverance that God had brought them through. This is Exodus 12 verse 3. This is God's instruction to Moses. He says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And then 12 verse 14 says, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. God literally sets up a holiday. He's like, this 10th day of this month, this 10th day, you are to set aside this day to remember the great deliverance that I have brought you through. And then he later says, or he says actually before this in Exodus 12, verse 26 through 27, he gives the purpose for why he set up this holiday. It says in Exodus 12, verse 26 through 27, he says, this is why you're to observe it year by year. He says, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? What do you mean by celebrating all these holidays, by doing all of these rituals, celebrating all these traditions? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So Jesus, or God, is saying to Moses in this time, he's saying, you are to set this up as a consistent and an annual celebration so that when your kids ask you why you do this, you'll be able to tell them how I saved you. It's to bring God into this, picture, into this picture and cross generational lines. And from this verse, we see two purposes biblically for holidays. And it's to remember the testimonies of the Lord 
and to teach future generations of the things of God. To remember and to teach or to remember and relay, to relay to future generations the things of God. And so with the rest of my time here today, the rest of my time, I realize that some of you guys know me super well. I've got some friends in the crowd, which is so awesome. But some of you guys, and especially as your pastor, don't know me super well. And I thought that today, as I would take the first step in saying, this is my story. This is how God has literally set me free and changed my entire life. My goal today is simply to share my story. It's a, it's a story of great forgiveness and great redemption. And from this story, I hope to wage war against shame, guilt, and condemnation. Revelation 12 verse 11 says that we overcome the enemy. We overcome the, the, the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we love not our lives even unto death. So let's overcome tonight. Amen? Come on, let's go. Let's overcome. So I love telling my story, man. I love reflecting and remembering what God has done in my life. So my, kind of, my story kind of begins when I was really, really young. Like I said, I grew up here at Resurrection Life Church. And so I, quote unquote, got saved. Yeah, look at that. You see those guys? I thought it was cool stuff back then. So come on. There you go. So the story kind of starts when I was like four years old. Actually, here, I remember giving my life to Jesus, giving my life to Jesus, when I was four years old. I remember being in the nursery. My mom was the teacher, and we were sitting around in a circle, and she asked if anybody wanted to give their heart to Jesus. And I remember raising my hand. My mom, I don't know, she probably cried or something. I don't know. But I remember that moment. And then from after that moment, I was homeschooled growing up. Come on, praise God. Till about fifth grade. And so... Uh, I was homeschooled and I would wake up in the morning and I would hear this random like sound coming from my mom's room. And I was like, what the heck? I like would walk up to her door, like put my ear against her door. And it sounded like she was saying Timon and Pumbaa, Timon and Pumbaa, Timon and Pumbaa, like over and over again. I was like, my mom really loves Lion King, I guess. Like, this is crazy. And so uh, one day when we were having school, I asked her, I was like, mom, like, I don't know what's going on there. And she goes, oh, it's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And so on October 25, 2005, I received, my, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit right there across in my living room and started speaking in tongues when I was, in, when I was five years old. And um, that, but even though I had received a baptism of the Holy Spirit, even though I received a prayer language, even though I had given my heart to Jesus, my faith was really still my parents' faith at that time. It still was. I didn't really have a context for how to follow Jesus as a five-year-old. I, I believe it can be done, but I personally deny have that context. And so the rest of my story begins when I was about the age of eight years old. And that's the left-hand picture over there. I was at a birthday party. I think I just got somebody out in dodgeball. And I was like, yo. But so the rest of my story begins when I was eight years old. Um, so another Fun fact about me is I have four older brothers, not just Jake. I have four older brothers. And my older brothers are amazing. They're just like absolute studs in the Lord, at sports, in school, all of it, right? And so I was the, I'm the youngest. And so I felt like I grew up with a lot of pressure on my life. And nobody ever told me this, but I felt like I had to walk this line of perfection. And it was so crippling. 
that I had to get all the good grades. I'd get A's. I had to win every basketball game and score a lot. I had to be like, do the right thing and make my parents proud and all of that stuff. And I did, and I worked really, really hard in order to excel in all of those areas, right? But like any single, any time I lost, I would bawl my eyes out. Anytime I got less than an A on an assignment, like I would bawl my eyes out. Anytime that I had like deviated or let my parents down, I would bawl my eyes out. Why? It wasn't because like I realized that I felt like everything I had built my life on and my identity and who I was to my parents was crumbling. And so I I did the right thing, got the good grades, worked really hard, but it wasn't really out of like a love for Jesus at all. It was out of a fear of letting people down. And I'd kind of gotten this idea that I needed to do all the right things in order to please my parents. And if I didn't do all of the right things, then my parents wouldn't love me and wouldn't accept me. And I had wrongly applied that to my relationship with God. And I thought, man, if I walked in his ways, if I did the things that please him, if I read my Bible and prayed enough, then God would be pleased with me and that he would love me and want to use me with my life. But if I deviated from that at all, that was it. Like I missed my chance and it was nobody's fault but my own. And so when I was around eight years old, I got into some very sinful habits and I hid it from my parents. I'd gotten into some sexual sin and I just felt like I could not like ever bring that out to the light. Because if I did, then, then their view of me would change. And this completely threw me for a loop because it broke down every single framework that I had applied to God. Because now like I knew that the thing I was doing was wrong, but I still went and did it anyway. How would God love me? How would God want to use me? I literally, at eight years old, the enemy was trying to sow this lie in my head that your life's over. Like, it's, it's, you're done. You missed your chance. Like, you had one chance to hop on the steamboat and go to the, the destiny that God called you to, and you missed it. You were late. You missed it. And so, for the next two years, I literally was in, like, a cycle of condemnation. And I rested in this cycle of condemnation for the next two years. Literally, Pete, somebody at Res literally bought me a $300 guitar when I was around nine years old. And he said, Jared... The Lord spoke to me the other day and he said to me, you're going to be a worship leader one day. And he gave me, he told me to buy you this guitar. And as he was giving it to me, the only thing I could hear in my head was, he doesn't know you. If he really knew you and the things that you've done in the past, there's no way he would say that. Like, Jared, do you remember what you've done? And I was like, oh yeah, like I forgot. That's right. And I would like, I'd worship up here and I would like lift my hands and jump up and down. Like, and I would do all of those things. And the only thing I would hear in the back of my head is what are you doing? Like all these people think like you're some on fire dude and you're just fooling all of them. Like, don't you remember what you've done? And that literally just, it literally ate my lunch for about two years. I like, I was new, I was living my life. Days were transpiring, but I didn't feel like I had any purpose. Didn't feel like I had even a shot at living a life for the Lord. And the enemy was trying to get me to hide in shame. So eventually I confessed to my parents and I brought the thing out into the light and we got the whole situation worked out. I confessed to God. It was so funny. I even remember like times when I would be sleeping in my bedroom and I would like confess to God and then the, the Lord would like put it on my heart to tell my parents. And I'd be like, but why? Like, 
we're good. Like, why does that matter? You know? And then my mom would like come in my room and she always like, she would always like sing to us when we were young and like scratch our back. And so she'd like sing to you. And then she'd like stop and be like, Jared, is there something you need to tell me? And I'm like, God, what? (laughs) No, good night, mom. Like my heart's like beating like a million miles a second. Right. But I eventually confessed to my parents and confessed it to the Lord. And I was actually forgiven. Like the Bible says that when we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, it says that we're healed. And it says in 1 John 1, 9, that God is faithful and just to forgive you when you confess your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I actually was forgiven, like positionally before the Lord, I was right with God, but the enemy had waged war in my mind and in my soul to convince me otherwise. And this was a cycle of condemnation. Now, the Holy Spirit, I want to make just a quick little point here, a quick little differentiation. The Holy Spirit, says in John 14, verse 8, brings conviction, and he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And the Holy Spirit is inside of us to bring certain levels of conviction in our life, right? But the enemy, he brings condemnation. The enemy brings condemnation. Conviction will always draw you back to who you were created to be to God. It always does. Condemnation will always push you away from the thing that God has called you to be. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like this analogy that I'm going to give. Imagine you are young and you're hopping on a bike and you're just ready. You're like learning how to ride your bike. You took your training wheels off. You're like, today's the day, right? This is awesome. Okay. And so your dad or somebody, somebody, your dad or your mom, somebody, older brother, sister, whatever it is, they're walking, they're holding the front handlebar and they got their, their hand on your back and they're running with you, right? And they're running with you and you're pedaling, you're pedaling, you're pedaling and all of a sudden they let go. And you, now you're going, you're pedaling by yourself, you're pedaling by yourself and all of a sudden your, your mom, dad, brother, sister, whatever it is, they're looking and they're like, oh my gosh, he's doing it. Oh, this is crazy. Oh my gosh, look at them, they're going. And then all of a sudden they see the, will wobble the handlebars and they're like oh he's going down oh no oh oh no and then boom they you spill into the neighbor's yard right a picture of conviction this is what the picture of conviction looks like your dad your mom your father your mother or your brother or sister this is conviction to run to them to kneel down and say are you okay are you okay you're fine yes okay Why don't we get back up on the bike? Here, I'll hold it a little bit longer. Try to keep those handlebars really tight and let's try this again. That's conviction. Condemnation, this is what condemnation looks like. Boom, the handlebars go. You topple over your bike. Condemnation looks like, oh my gosh. I can't believe him. Like he spilled right in front of my neighbors. Like, oh, that's so embarrassing. I knew he couldn't do it. He knew he couldn't do it. Maybe we should just wait a few more years. That's the voice of condemnation. And that's what was eating my lunch for two years. And it's kind of tricky because condemnation may sound comforting in the moment. It may sound comforting. This is, it could sound something like, oh, don't worry, that's just not you. Maybe you weren't meant to lead. Maybe you're just supposed to be a background role. Every time you've led, themes have blown up in your life. See, look at this, look at that, look at the third. Maybe that's just not 
who God created you to be. And you can be like, oh yeah, like maybe that's not me. Or maybe a time that you've tried to share the gospel. Maybe the time that you've tried to share your testimony with like a family member or different things like that. And it didn't go the way that you planned out. The voice of condemnation might, might slip into your head there and say, maybe evangelism just isn't for you. Maybe you weren't meant to be like a mouthpiece for the Lord. Maybe you weren't meant to really share your faith. That's okay. Maybe you should just leave it to others. That could be a voice of condemnation in your life too. But remember the the foundational piece is conviction will always draw you to the person and the presence of God. And condemnation will always draw you away from God. So I lived in this cycle of condemnation for about two years. However, all of that changed in August of 2010. And that's when I was 10 years old. The big bug eye with the pumpkins right in front of there. So come on. In August of 2010, our family was going through a lot, just a bunch of challenging circumstances. And at that time, I'd been homeschooled all the way up until that point, and my parents felt a prompting by the Lord to send me actually to public school. And so we were praying through a lot on this vacation, and the Lord, my parents said, all right, we're gonna take one hour every day on our vacation, and we're just gonna spend it with the Lord. And so, we would crack open our Bibles and pray and do whatever for an hour, and then we'd come back and just have fun the rest of the time. During one of those times, I found myself at the edge of the dock, sitting with my feet dangling in the water and my Bible open. And I was reading in the book of Ruth at the time. I was reading in the book of Ruth, and all of a sudden, this passing thought came in my head, and it said, Isaiah 66, verse 66. And I was like, whoa. Like, I've heard of people hearing from God like this. Like, is it my time? Like, could that really be God? And so, like, quicker than I've ever flipped in my Bible, I was like, phew, 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 phew. I was like, where's Isaiah? Where's Isaiah? It's got to be in here somewhere. You know, there's looking for Isaiah. Finally, I found Isaiah. Go to, go to 60, chapter 66, and I'm scrolling all the way down. And to my demise, not demise, but <laughs> to my disappointment, there's uh, Isaiah 66 ends in verse 24. And so I was like, hmm, maybe I just added an extra six. Let's go, Isaiah 66, verse six. And so I go there, and basically, Isaiah 66, verse six says, can you hear it? It's the sound of the Lord thundering from his tabernacle, bringing recompense or revenge on his enemies. And I was like, am I gonna die right now? Like, what's happening? And so as you do when, when, you're, when the Bible, when the word of God does not make much sense, bring it to some trusted people in your life that have been walking with the Lord for a little bit longer. So I brought it to my mom and I said, mom, this is what happened. There's no verse 66. This is what happened. I think I'm going to die. And she goes, Jared, I don't think that was right. Did you try Isaiah 6 verse 6? And I was like, ah, how did I not think of that? I'll be right back. And so I like walk out and I like, I sit back down on the dock. I open it and it's funny, looking retrospectively at um, Isaiah chapter 6, the context of this verse is Isaiah has a vision, and the prophet Isaiah has a vision, and he sees the Lord standing in his holy temple, and it literally says that there's angels that are flying over his head. The train of his robe, it says, fills the entire temple, which is just a signal of like how many battles the Lord has won in his lifetime. So he's like, he's won numerous battles, just in 
unnumerable, like you can't even count them. And then there's angels flying over and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Like it's this crazy wild scene. And you would think that, I, that prophet Isaiah would respond in a way of worship to the king, but he doesn't. In verse five of Isaiah six, it actually says, Isaiah's response to the Lord is not one of worship, but is one of condemnation. And he says, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and my people are a people of unclean lips and I have seen the Lord. He said, I'm in the presence of the Lord and I know that I'm sinful, I'm gonna die. And that's exactly retrospectively looking at and that moment when I was sitting on the dock as a 10 year old kid, that's exactly how I felt. I had heard all of the amazing things that God has would spoken over my life. And I could see and I would hear testimonies of, God, of people being used by God in miraculous ways. And I so desperately wanted that to be my life. But every time I got close enough to see it, I said, woe is me. I'm undone because I've done things that did not please the Lord. But then verse six and seven would be the verses that would change my life forever. In Isaiah six, verse six through seven, it says, then one of the seraphim, which is one of God's angels, it flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your mouth. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And in that moment, I literally saw on replay all of those decisions that I had made against the Lord. I saw him like in my imagination, just saw all of those things that had been coming up and disqualifying me for so long. And for the first time in my life, I grew up here at church. I heard every single Sunday that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he loves you and wants a relationship with you. But for the first time in my life, I heard it from God himself. And it sounded just like one of my own thoughts. It came from within. But it said to me, Jared, I've forgiven your sin. Your guilt is atoned for. And your sin is taken away would you come and follow me? And in that moment, tears streaming down my face, I said yes, as a 10-year-old kid, to following Jesus. And I didn't have it all figured out in that moment, but the Lord and the Holy Spirit has brought such a rich discipleship in my life from that point forward. He literally deposited in me that moment such a hunger for the word of God and started memorizing, and I had been memorizing scripture, but not out of a love for God, but out of a way to please my parents. I'd been, I'd been memorizing scripture at that time, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit started to bring that scripture back to my remembrance, started to remind me of the things that I had hidden in my heart, even though it was for the wrong reasons. And the Holy Spirit has brought me a long way, and there's so much I would love to share with you guys. You know, the Lord has done a lot in my life in the past 13 years, um, since that moment. And perhaps I will share different parts of that story at different times. But I don't share this story or my story with you guys to toot my own horn or to, because I think that I'm some super Christian. No, I share these experiences because one, God deserves all the glory for my life. This isn't my story, actually. This is God's story and I get to play a role in it. This is how God has affected my life. And number two is God is the God of testimony. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Yeah. 
And I share it to instill hope and a hope that may lead to your transformation.